Eat Sleep Raise podcast. We're back. Special guest in the building. Zoe from Nice Ones, all the way from Connecticut, took that, what, five-hour drive out here today? It's three hours. Bro. Three. It felt like five of traffic. I'm not going to hold you. Man, appreciate you taking the ride all the way out here to join us today. We got some cool questions to ask you, a lot regarding media. I mean, Nice Ones is known as a street racing, import scene, media company. How about we leave it to you to let us know what your role is and your background? So... I think that's a great lead-in for a couple different reasons, right? Because Nice Ones, I feel like, have ch has changed so much over the years. So I was, I actually jumped on with Jay around 2014, and that was how many years after they start. Uh, Jay started Nice Ones. Jay started Nice Ones in like 2008. Okay. Yeah. So I think the YouTube channel was a little bit like after that but well what when did youtube actually start because that's the funny thing about nice ones like before social media started like nice ones was putting video dvds and not even dvds we were uploading files in like different like air like, like uh street fire was one of them street fire street one. Fire, yeah. um what's it what's another what are they forums? Like forums, I was like, forums like that. putting things in forums so people can watch it. I remember you guys sold a lot of DVDs, but I did have right? DVDs. You did sell a lot of DVDs, but that all came really off of people seeing it in these different freaking forums. Like yeah. forums really kicked it off because Speed Lounge is probably one of them. Yeah, people didn't see that type of stuff anywhere else except for in these forums. And even myself, like when I was really getting into it, and I was on CTV Tech and and Honda Tech. I remember seeing the first few races on these files that Nice Ones was bringing up. I mean, let's keep it a thousand, right? Like Julian Bowen is like um, Julian Bowen is the Ralph McDaniel's of racing. Period. There's nobody that was before him doing it. There's no media that was doing it the same way he was doing it at the time. Like if you know, you guys know who Ralph McDaniel's is. I'm not familiar. All right, Liza. You know Ralph McDaniels? Nah. Right? All right, check it. So Give him a breakdown. Ralph McDaniels actually started something called Video Music Box in New York City. Okay. Right? Yeah. So Video Music Box was what began MTV, VH1, like music-style television. And it was really just one guy who would go to different areas, different blocks, different corners, take people who were rapping, record it, and then put it out for people to see it. Then he started covering events. He was um, posting people's music videos in places where they couldn't find it to the point that when Ralph McDaniels went to a network to talk about Video Music Box, they told him it wasn't a great idea. And then a few years later, they said, TV and VH1 and everything. Yeah. So when I think about like Julian Bowen um, and the way that he began this, like he was the first one that was really doing it. If somebody could show me a video that predates him recording street racing, I'd love to see it because I haven't seen it. Shout out to Julian. We need to get him on this uh, show. <laughs> it's hard to talk about like the origination of it without bringing, you know, Julian to talk about all the history. Right? So we'll we'll save the history of nice ones for a podcast episode with Julian. Let's, get him in here. Yeah, let's skip forward to Zoe. What is your role with nice ones, and why did you get involved, and what is your role today? So a, a little bit of background, right? Um, I spent a lot of years just doing content in music and independent music originally. So I was putting together documentaries on uh, independent artists for different networks, BET, MTV, all these other ones, VH1. 
Um, and I actually had always been a gearhead and I had just fallen out of it. And I was taking a break from doing music and doing that type of content. And I went to World Cup. And when I went over to World Cup, I had run into Jay. And I didn't even know what Jay looked like at the time, but I was obviously well aware of nice ones. And he was like, well, let's let's do a couple projects while you're like taking a hiatus from music. And I just kind of never went back. Like I, I ended up um, like falling in love with just making content racing because I had loved racing and I had learned shooting content from a different platform, right? So I brought a lot of my style from music, music videos, documentaries, entertainment, and got the opportunity to use it, you know, in this arena. And um, and after doing maybe like a year, a year and a half of just kind of working for the brand, I just decided to buy into half of the brand and partner up with Julian so that I could just continue to put like a lot more time into it and watch it grow. And, you know, because times were changing, you know, transition was happening right there. We were one of the first production companies to put digital content out with the network. Like they gave us digital placement as a opportunity to work our way up to television, right? Fast forward now, digital content dominates television. You know what I mean? So in New York City, we were one of the first to do that with independent artists. And I thought to myself, it was a good time doing that, but I'd love to see what we can do with it in racing. And then from like 2014 on, we've been rocking. So you're actually a partner in Nice Ones. Yeah. I didn't know that. Nice Ones, yeah. That's what's up. Congratulations. Thank you, man. How long ago did you buy into it? 2015. I was going to say, he said it, he said a year after. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. 2015. So, and it's been a wild ride ever since. I mean, it's really, it's, it's humbled me in a lot of ways, but it's also like allowed, you know, myself and Jay to like branch out and think about things in racing differently. Like when we first started, we were looking more at making content, putting out content, right. And just continuing to do that work. Um, but then we started realizing how much, you know, social media began to change and our style of, of content didn't really change along with social media, right? Because Nice Ones has always been very heavy into editing with music. That's always been something Jay has done. So for me, that was a great fit because that's what I had come from, right? Um, but that's not something that YouTube wanted to continue to do. At first, YouTube wasn't worried about that. They were just like, great, this is great. Until start, people started saying, whoa, like the licensing, I own this, I own that, you can't use this. And then that's something that most social media wanted to stay away from. So we had a decision to make. Are we gonna change the style from what people know us from? Or are we going to adapt and do some different things? And that's when we begin to branch out and look at covering events differently and and supporting racers in different ways, as opposed to just shooting events we started targeting how we could shoot content with racers, give them advice, and part of that is what led into um, nice management that we started in 2018. That's a good segue right here to you know aspiring videographers, photographers, anyone looking to get involved in media. What are I might be stepping out of my bounds here to ask this, but curiosity: what are the sources of revenue for nice ones outside of covering? events you know like you see tons of people shooting at events and the question is for anybody aspiring to do this can you make money you know shooting i guess content and media in this uh would you would you say nice ones is only the import racing or do you do all types of racing we do all types of racing okay we never wanted to put a ceiling on the type of content that we've made 
Um, at the same time, I feel like videographers can make money in this field. You just have to realize who your target audience is, right? And if they understand how to monetize from it. Because if, if the person that you're supporting doesn't understand how to monetize from it, they could have the tool and not use it. And then it doesn't feel like a great tool when it doesn't work the way that they want to, right? Because you can have content, but unless you know how to work content and make it a benefit to you to then get money from it, people don't see the value in it. It doesn't just come with making it and then, you know, you're getting paid. That's not the way that it works. It's a tool. You have to know how to utilize it. So when we started thinking about it more and more, we were like, how many times have we put out content that's gotten some views on our channel, but maybe hasn't gotten views on other people's channel or, or vice versa, whatever the case may be. And why did it go that route? It's because people were utilizing the content as a tool. They were utilizing it as, well, it's out there now and someone's going to see it and someone's going to want to buy and someone's going to figure it. But that's not the way that social media works. And that's when we began to recognize social media was changing. Like we went from seeing whatever we put up because it was just kind of all the gates were open, seeing you know a million views, two million views, to watching it kind of get cut down every time you added a piece of music and it was monetized or every time somebody said something that maybe the platform didn't like. And, and that's the thing about it. These platforms don't tell you the buttons to not hit. You have to figure it out by doing it. And it's like, oh, why are my views a little bit lower? Oh, I had music in it that wasn't cleared. Or why, why, uh, I had no music, you know, why are my views? Oh, someone was cussing across the entire thing. You know what I mean? Like, you really have to understand what these platforms are looking for in order for you to really make content that works for them and then you can monetize from it. That's why vlogging is so great across social media, right? Because how many things do you have to pay for when it comes to vlog? It's your voice. You own it, right? So if you own it, they don't have to worry about somebody coming after them later on and saying, hey, you can't use that audio or what have you. And they get a host, right? YouTube trains people to make sure that when they're vlogging, they become a host. They become somebody who's creating content, original content that YouTube can then take and monetize and get a check from from a bunch of different sponsors outside of the ones that, that they created. So it sounds like at some point, a main source of revenue was, you know, getting the views on the videos and then the demonetization and, you know, lower pay due to, you know, how YouTube changed the algorithm of how it pays, you know, its content creators. Is the business model for Nice One still the same this year where, or, you know, today, where you're still relying on, I guess, YouTube checks coming in or is the model changed? It's nice to see a mailbox check come in, right? To pay some bills or pay for travel, but that is not where we're mainly monetizing. I mean, if anything, we are more of a marketing advertising company than anything else in racing and not just in imports or domestics, anything that has a motor. We've, we may have been hired in the background to do something that most of the public wouldn't know. Right. So you guys are transitioned out from creating media and now doing all these other things to make revenue. Instead of before, it was just making YouTube content and kind of relying on, I guess, ad revenue or sales from the YouTube channel? Ad revenue, sales, but more than anything, we wanted to add an additional way of getting revenue as opposed to limiting ourselves, right? So we'll still make content that we love in the way that we love it and not worry so much about the algorithm, knowing that it's a tool to get us to working on a marketing job or maybe working on an advertising job or maybe creating specific content for companies who want to get that started. 
guiding people in starting social media, right? If you're starting a social media channel and you know nothing about it, us telling you avoid music and prepare to be a host are probably the most two valuable things you'll hear right off the bat to grow YouTube. So hearing that you guys are doing more marketing, um, I always push the thing of um, creating friendships and how important friendships are over anything else, like over your services, over anything you provide. Like how important is art, is creating that relationship that's more than just, hey, like approve this project or hey, like I do this. You know, I, I, the approach of finding new customers and finding new clients, do you, do you treat it as strictly 100% business or, right? Yeah, never. I think the point in relationships is critical to being successful in this space. Because as big as racing may seem to a lot of people, it's a very it's still small, small community market, right? So knowing people, people knowing you before you even enter the room, you know, having a good reputation, all those things pay dividends in this market to a point that I can't even express if they're going to, if you're going to gain their trust in order to help their company grow, right? And yeah. utilize just your YouTube channel or just your outlets. To yeah, because I think a lot of times, you know, you get the the, the person that doesn't know how to market themselves is, is just me, 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 this is what I can offer. And meanwhile, you didn't even introduce yourself to me yet. Like, I don't even know your name. You know what I mean? And you're asking me for merchandise, product, sponsorship, like, you know what I mean? And I feel like that kind of just closes the door for you before you even got a chance to get your foot in the door. Yeah, I agree. It's, But it's because there's not a specific etiquette in this space, right? There's no one who's training people or helping people understand how to begin to build amazing relationships from not having anybody to introduce you to them, right? That's huge. Uh, it's also understanding that in racing, for the companies that support you, winning is not everything for them, right? It's it, it, And I think a lot of times in racing, racers define themselves on how many wins and how many losses, as opposed to remember that you're entertaining people. Mm -hmm. The same way an athlete entertains people, the same way an actor entertains people, you are entertaining people. If you entertain people while you're losing, you're still going to get a You're still providing, yeah, you're still providing a service. And there are guys who are totally quiet, right, who never say a word and who win consistently, but they're not sponsored or supported because they don't bring anything to to to, to bring that wow factor, to bring more To attention. tie everything together. Right, right. right. Yep. One of the racers that stands out to me the most, and he doesn't have to race to 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 entertain people, is Fast Guy. Fast Guy is and Fast Guy, if he just put together content on his own consistently, he should have somebody who just follows him around in his daily life. I say that to him every and day. Let him talk smack, and he would get more sponsorships, not have to commit to being at the track whatsoever. More sponsorships because he has that car, his mouth, than anything else. More so, just what he sees every day. It's not the way he Right, but it's just it's just what he sees and how he reacts to it. He's a natural host. Right. No. When they're with YouTube, it's like they want you to be a host and they want you to be able to be entertaining without adding in all that additional music or content or what have you. He's the perfect example of somebody who could be a YouTuber in two years and make a nice salary from it from just being consistent. But the difference is, you know, a guy like that doesn't want to have to learn, all right, I gotta shoot it myself, edit it myself you know, make sure that all these things work. He doesn't have time for any of that, right? It, which goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is how drag racing in general looks at it from a view that's 20 years dated, right? I mean, I, I, I just went to, you know, a drift event where I saw every 
drifter out there with the team, right? And in drag racing, you have a team of people who are working on the car. You know, someone's checking tire pressure, someone's making sure when getting to the pits that they're, you know, charging the battery, adding fuel, like checking it to make sure it's good for the next rounds and everybody's hanging out, right? And drifting, you don't have five guys doing that. You have maybe one guy doing that. And then you have the other four guys. One's taking photos. Another one's creating content. Another one's introducing you to somebody else. Like they understand the value of being the entertainment, right? And I think that that's a big reason why you don't see as many companies involved in drag racing and paying dollars in drag racing as you do in other sports. Yeah, I think you bring, you bring a good point to that, that you broke it down as, as entertainers because I feel like in the sport compact side of drag racing, it got to that point. It did get to the point where there was media, there was this. I mean, we're talking about like when GM stepped on board with like Gary, right? There were specific people for everything. There was a guy for everything. And now I think after that whole area left, Sport Front is taking that, is like that level of racing now. But it's kind of also brought it back to this, to like the grassroots level where you're not getting that big money. But you know, it's kind of just like regular guys, regular jobs. You know, there's only a few handful of guys that are doing this professionally that are, you know, that have like, you know, that is their day job. Drag racing is their day job. There's only, I can maybe like two or three companies that still do this full time. Everybody else is like, you know, they're like weekend racers, you know, they're taking time off for that. We jumped ahead a little bit here and let's let's bring it back because... A topic that I wanted to discuss is because you, we'll go back on the evolution of nice ones, right? So you went from creating just content from the streets, street racing from events, putting it out on DVDs, then putting it out on into the internet, first on forums, then on websites pre-YouTube, and then to YouTube, monetizing before by selling DVDs. So that's how you were making money. Then you went to YouTube. Posted there, YouTube started cutting checks. And then when the model changed and you were no longer getting the same amount of money that YouTube was paying before, the model changed into, we're still creating content. We know how to create content. We're out at all these events. We're going to take it from a different angle now. We're going to propose it to these companies that because we're out here and your race cars are on the track or whatever you may need us to film, we're already there. So now you were collecting money in that route, which is, you know, very an ingenious way of changing the business model. But then it kind of grew from there because you went from just being creators to now turning into a marketing business in which you're going to racers and businesses and saying, we know what we're doing. We've been doing this for 20 years. We're the originals at this. We can help you. And then it was now people taking you up on that offer. And of course, you're putting a dollar, you're putting a price to your services. So now, now that we've established, you know, the the business behind Nice Ones, the question that we kind of jumped the gun on here, which is not a bad thing, it was what recommendations in your experience do you have for drag racers, you know, to better themselves if they want, you know, to be an influencer and two, if they want to get more sponsors, you kind of answered it already. But I'm gonna I'm gonna step back a little bit here because I like how you brought up that topic of you see the drifters bring a whole team, and it's not a team to work on the car; it's a robust team from creating content to networking to 
making sure the car makes it on the track because the goal necessarily isn't to win. The goal is get the car on the track, create the content, and continue continue our business so that we could keep doing this. Versus drag racers, because Hugo made a point, we went from pro dra drag racers that had corporate backing, that, that class dropped out. The class doesn't even exist anymore. So the next heavy hitter class that exists is full of grassroots racers. But I want to connect the two here because part of that conversation is these drifters weren't professionals or corporate racers themselves who had corporate backing. They just had a different mindset of creating content for a purpose of making a business out of this. They kind of had the um, the millennial, if not, I want to say the millennial mindset of we're on our phones all day. We want to entertain, right? Versus the racers, which come from a previous generation, more so, that we just want to go to the track and win. So I got a question. Do you think drag racers need to be creating more social media content? A short answer, yes. They need to be creating more social media content, but they need to understand how to work that, right? I think drifters have a really good model where they understand it's a lifestyle. Like if you've ever seen Adam LZ at an event, he is driving the car, letting the team take over, and then he's trying to create content in between. And you've never seen that from a driver in drag racing. Now, mind you, I think drag racers and drifters are like people from New York and California, right? Who's in New York here? So so, so New York is a drag racer. Why, why do you say that? in percent. New York is a drag racer. Have you ever heard like that, that setup where there's a person who gets a flat tire in New York and there's a person who gets a flat tire in California? Have you no. ever heard that? No. It's hilarious. So a person gets a flat tire in California and everybody on the highway will watch and be like, oh, I'm sorry, but not helping you. In New York, you get a flat tire. Someone will stop, cuss you out for getting the flat tire, but they'll actually help you. Right? Mother effort. That, way. That, Let me they'll, help. they'll mother effort you the entire time. Nick lives but, in New York. That ever happened to you? That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Like, there's been, I mean, my, my daily is all types of messed up, but there's been times I'll pull over and like people roll the window down. Hey, you good? Like, yeah, I'm good. Like, Yo, I got tools in the back of my minivan. Or like, so many people just, but they still they have around. tools and jacks. They'll still curse. Right? They'll curse you out. Oh, this mother effort part causing part all the trash. Watch you know what? Over a little bit. Yeah, give me the jack. I'll do it myself. You don't know what you're doing, but they'll help you. So how does this compare to racers? So this is the difference with with drag racers, right? Drag racers are so dedicated to the sport of drag racing and that win-loss mentality. Like, they live and die by, I'm good if I win, I'm no good if I lose. Where in, with drifters, it's like, it's all right, I had fun. You know what I mean? And while I had fun, I made sure to keep a memory and document it and really enjoy it. Like... It's just a different mentality. Imagine putting a drag racer who understood how to drift in a drift car to compete with drifters. They'd hate him. He'd be too focused on the goal itself to win, right? As opposed to just trying to have some fun with it. So I, I bring that up because I feel like drifters understand a little bit more on how to entertain and how to monetize where drag racers are so dedicated to the sport of drag racing that they're just looking at the rules and they feel good when they win at the end of it and they get a paycheck no matter how big or how small, but they don't see another company come into the sport and support what they do, right? Right. Generalizing here too, right? But, but I'm also, 
to an extent, but like those are like those are living examples. If 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 they weren't living examples, then explain why there aren't more companies involved that don't have race parts to sell in sponsoring drag racing. But there are plenty of companies that don't sell one drift part that sponsor drifters. I think one of the reasons also too though, I mean we can't it's it's hard to dissect that to the T. But also the thing is I think with drift on the drift side is that it is a national event. It's not just a local event, right? You as me coming into the sport of drifting as a trying to compete, I have to eat what it's either I'm securing this financially myself or, you know, going after sponsorship because I am traveling the country. So that requires a little bit more um, funds, obviously. You know what I mean? So they have to, I, I think they realize that coming in. So, you know, it, it ha they have to adapt also to, to, to grab that money, right? Where, whereas, let's just say, like, like you said, New York, like a local New York guy, he might sit out and say, hey, I'm only racing four events this year. Like, and this is, this is what I'm doing. So I'm budgeted for that and I'm good. I'm not looking, it's not like this week, hey, I'm in California this week. And then next week I'm in Florida, and then the following I'm I'm like somewhere else across the country, you know. So I think it, I think I think that also is is why we don't see as much creativeness, baby, out, out of the race. Kind of racing though, but one hundred percent. We're comparing drag racing, drifting, but I'm just saying, yeah, same thing. If if I if I race dirt bikes, they're traveling every weekend to another place. So unless you're funding that yourself. You, you have to figure out a way to sell yourself to try to get some money. Here's the thing, though. Why is it that there's national events for okay. drifters, and why isn't there national events for drag racers? Because we all remember the Nobi days where there were. Okay? I think we're talking about a particular type of drag race, and we're talking about import drag race. Yeah, we are. We are talking about import Yeah, let's not yeah. get that confused I, I here. I was going to say, because there, there are some. Yeah. Let's not get that confused. Oh, yeah. So everything that's been talked right now is strictly import. Was import. import. Domestic drag racing is a totally different. Oh, that's a whole new animal. Animal. Yeah. But it's insane the distance between like domestic pro drag racing and the level of support and the level of sponsorship, right down to like import drag racing or you know smaller events that have domestic cars. Right. Like there's a huge gap. There's no middle. It's not like there's an an A, a B, and a C. There's an A, and there's an F. There's, you know, there's not really an in between there. And, and part of the reason I feel like that is, is because, you know, I don't know that companies see as much of the value that's there when people are going out of their way to try and be entertainers, right? I mean, even at that pro level, you've been to how many, you know, pro drag race, right? Pro drag racing events, right? there's still a very specific level of entertainment there, right? And I think the drivers and the teams understand that. Um, I just think that that doesn't necessarily transcend to import drag racing. And it could. It's just the ecosystem needs needs a refresh. Taking it from a different perspective of somebody who wants to be involved in media, aspirations to, you know, have a career in media for racing Racing in general, you know, not just import racing. Do you have any uh, tips or advice such as that they have to go to school, do you need a badass camera setup? Where do you go to to educate yourself? Like, what tips do you have? So do I feel like that 
there's the possibility for a career in media, yes. Um, you will need to be broke at first, right? Uh, and you will need to understand how to tell a story. That's typically what you learn from school. That's the basis of, uh, basis of anything. Why do you say you need to be broke? Is that because you're investing into equipment? Because, yeah. I mean, you need the equipment in order to do the job. I'm not saying you have to have the most expensive equipment. I think somebody who has creativity versus somebody who has just expensive equipment will win all day. And you have to have a drive for it. Like, it can't just be based on talent. You have to want to get better every single day that you touch a shoot, an edit, talk to a customer. You have to really want to be better and can and, and be confident enough in yourself to explain why you're the right person. Like, if you're going to be in... in, in creating content or a content creator should really have a business degree like you can pick up how to shoot and what equipment to use on youtube i promise it's there whatever these colleges are going to be able to teach you if you're disciplined enough you can pick it up along the way there are online classes you can pay for but nothing's going to pay for experience and nothing's going to pay for how to lock in a client so that you can do your job right um i think that that's important and it's so similar to music. I think content creation is so similar to how musicians monetize on their craft. That's why for me, when I was making that transition, it felt so seamless because a lot of those same challenges I saw with independent artists, I saw with us being content creators. And I tried to bridge the gap by saying, you know what, maybe we need to look at it from a different perspective. Use the tools that we already have. We know we can shoot. We know we can edit, but do these companies know what we see when we do it? Do they know the feedback that we get from different people? Do we know? Do they know how much we help other companies sell? And do they know that we can help to guide them to set it up for themselves? You know, I think that that was. There's different careers and I guess uh, capacities being media, correct? Because you mentioned being becoming a creator, but necessarily you don't have to be in front of the camera to be media, right? Like. You could work for a company like Nice Ones and stay behind the camera, or even let's talk about different types of racing, NHRA, Formula D, which are, you know, or, you know, even NASCAR. In terms of media, you could be literally behind the camera, part of a production team, right? So is, is your feedback solely based on someone just becoming a content creator, or is it applicable to you know, any capacity in media. It's really more towards being a content creator, but you have to decide on, you know, how you want to live, right? Because you can go and work for a network and you can be a cam op and you won't have to worry about creating content at all. You would just be told where to point, what to shoot, what the settings need to be and keep your eye on the ball, right? I mean, there are plenty of companies that offer that, but if you look at- You got to go to school to be that type of person or that type of uh, career? It helps to get yourself in the door, right, to do that. But if you have a reel, a reel will get you further than a degree will. Also, who you know. And, and everything is about who you know, right? Definitely who you know. So I think that someone who wants to work at, let's say, like ESPN, the degree route and, you know, having your own equipment and then going in for an interview is probably the best way to get into that seat and being told what to shoot, right? So for someone who wants to specifically get into creating automotive content, what would you advise them? 
And what capacity are you talking about creating automotive content? Like that's rough. Like like for companies, like if they want to get paid to create automotive content, how can they get started? I think you first you have to identify what style of content you're going to be great at making, right? Once you've identified that, you then have to identify a brand that could benefit from that, right? What are the t- different types of content that you could uh, mention so, here? There's long-form content, right? Um, Storyline, story-based content. There's scripted content. Um, and obviously, there's non-scripted content. And then, of course, there's advertising or social media content, right? Short-form content. Do you want to be a content creator? If you want to be a content creator, are you comfortable with being in front of the camera or behind the camera? That is really going to depict what your paycheck's going to look like. And it's it's a wide range, right? Because there are there's a lot of people who don't want to be content creators. They just want to be great at their craft of, you know, I'm I'm the greatest. I don't even know what I'm not a media guy myself. So what do you guys call yourselves? Operators of, you know, videographer there's there's like a million names oh really especially if you do photography too it's like what do you identify as <laughs> like you know what do you identify as? I, well in terms of cameras it's, it's <laughs> a question right for me i identify as a cinematographer that okay. to me if if i had to be that nutshell but i also would recommend if someone wants to be a content creator do not think that you get the ability to just be one niche like you don't get that luxury that luxury is gone how, how many hats do you wear? Photographer, business owner, videographer, merchandise designer. I, I, when I first started, the squad that was teaching me how to shoot, um, they made me wear all the hats. They're like, this shoot, you're going to be the producer, right? And the producer is the person who knows the budget, who makes sure that the location fits within the budget. Who's going to be on set? Are they going to be on time? If food needs to be there, how much are you going to save with the budget? All those things. They made me produce first, then direct. And I used to think the director was somebody who directed so the cameras, right? But they direct talent, not the cameras, right? The cam op is the one who's managing the cameras. And a cinematographer is the one who's deciding to feel with the director and then taking care of the lighting. All those things matter. But I had to learn each one of those in order for me to feel comfortable enough and rely on myself enough to create whole pieces of content. So if you're going to be a content creator, get used to wearing multiple hats that 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 is if you can't multitask you might want to rethink it because you need to be able to multitask to be a successful content creator and there's no ceiling for that right i mean when you think about mr beast there's no ceiling for that and he's not a cinematographer right and he he hires people and i think the most important thing the biggest takeaway here is you really have to put in work yeah i mean you could buy the camera you could have the you know you you can even get the best clients but if you're putting out material that's not up to their standard or you know you just think you know you i I think one is you have to put in work and you have to be able to take criticism i think a lot of times that that's when you know you'll lose a really good person because just because their expectations from the client wasn't what you know what was what he proposed or he or she proposed you know what i'm saying like not everything's going to be a home run not everything's going to be you know, award-winning, you know what I mean? I'm sure tons of these content creators have, I mean, even us, we probably have a, we could probably fill up a couple hard drives of outtakes, you know what I mean? And you have to be able to take that and turn that into, okay, you're right, like, keep it, just hold on to that and 
are we going to do this differently? You know, I think that's the part of being a creative, right? Like, Hugo, you mentioned something good there about topic of Mr. Beast. You go, he hires people. So that goes back to my point of anyone aspiring to be part of media. There's so many different options, right? And you, you literally listed. I didn't even. Yeah, I didn't. We, I, I know some of those, right? Yeah, absolutely. What yeah. like what did you say there? Opera. What what was behind the direct? Who's behind the director? Oh, you're so you're talking about all the roles. all the roles. Yeah. So yeah. there's a producer. There's a director. There's Set a cinematographer. Yeah. There's a cam op. There's a grip. Like that's an entire team. Lighting guys. Leo. A, the cinematographer leads the lighting team, and then you just have grips on the lighting team who just, just moves it around. All tapes down. Like just so just tell them to um look at the back of the movies. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> long that that long list of. Names and, yeah. and titles. Just read that. And credit. <laughs> Man, I think I think we just discouraged the guy who was like, bro, I just wanted to go to the race and get that on coverage. <laughs> Listen, you can still enjoy that. You can just shoot pictures. But well, don't be upset if you don't get a good size check off of it. That's what I mean. Like the, there's so many variables to it, but there's no I feel like also as being a creator too, is that you you do have to put your feelings to the side. Because you're creating content for the world to see in in today's age. There's an opi- everybody got an opinion. And if you can't take the smallest, you know, thing of criticism or, you know, hate or whatever you want to call it, like, you're not going to make it. You know what I mean? Man, we went to Hollywood super quick. We went from, <laughs> we went from racing to Hollywood to watch the, watch this, the, the end credits of the latest Marvel <laughs> movie, Fast 10. But let's step it back a little bit because of, you know, nice ones went from street racing to events. What events do you recommend? What are the top events that Zoe recommends to get some good content? Top events to get good content, regardless, right? And we're just talking drag race, import drag racing. Talking, all right, so if we're just talking import drag No, 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 I'll leave it to you. What, what types of racing are you talking about here? I mean, I'm going to start with import drag racing because that's personally what I like, right? Okay. Um, I definitely think H-Day is probably top two. That you need to go to, and the reason I say that, is if someone doesn't know what that event is, if so, if someone's unaware of it, I think H Day is one of the best. Not only because you know the competition is stiff, um, I also think it's because you get so many people who get introduced to drag racing that way, and it spreads out to so much more. So I feel like that H Day is an event for Honda and Acura enthusiasts. For anyone unfamiliar, yeah, for Honda and Acura enthusiasts, right? Because when you think of huge it, event, a lot of people who get involved in it. You know, Hondas are the the, the, the the stepping stone. The beginning of you getting into racing, right? So I think that that always spins off a lot of people to do a little bit more. Arguable. Different. <laughs> well, used to be. More very arguable to the non-Honda <laughs> enthusiast. Well, so Brian's question was about just creating content in general. And you spoke about specifically for drag racing. But I feel like a good point to mention is that that specific event, H-Day, includes everything. So... You know, for someone who just kind of wants to start getting into automotive content, but they're not really sure where, going to an event like that where there's multiple aspects. Because you're talking about car show, drag Car racing. show, drag racing. You know, there's a number of different things. So that could be a good piece of advice for anyone that wants to get into all right, so automotive content. H day, what else you got? I'd have to say World Cup. I think World Cup, World Cup finals at Maryland International Raceway. World Cup finals at Maryland International Raceway is the next one that comes to mind because the racing is so competitive and you see a little bit of everything. No car show there. No, but the racing is phenomenal. There used to be a massive event. There used to be. It just got got so big. 
Couldn't do it. Old. So we went from H Day, which is Honda Acuras only. Now World Cup Finals. For those who are unaware, it is imports. It's actually called World Cup Finals imports Inverse. versus domestics. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple classes, but now it's kind of. There's so many racers. It's just fast classes. I don't even. Could you? Do you know the names of these classes now? They've changed. They've changed dramatically. Yeah. I feel like they change every year. So I wouldn't even do it justice. Mm -hmm. Right. What other event do you recommend? CX2K. I recommend TX2K. I think TX2K is an incredible event that started with Supras that turns into you seeing every type of car, exotic or not, go down the track in a way that's incredible. No car it's, show. No it, car show. It's only drag racing. It's only drag. Yeah, yeah. What else do you recommend? Um, If I wanted to flip and go to like a, 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 a different venue like car show, um, I feel like Weekfest is an amazing event. If you love a car show, they... It's almost like an art gallery for cars, in my opinion. Like, depending upon where you've been, whether you've been to, you know, the New Jersey show, the the Cali show, or the show in Japan, all of them feel like an art exhibit on 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 just general builds. I know it's mostly import, but I've seen some incredible builds that are domestic there as well. So for me, it's like that's top tier. What else you got? So we're talking about events. What about other stuff? What about like local meets or, you know, stuff like that? What if people can't make it to a track event? I think he was still working on his list of events for his top <laughs> events. Oh, my bad, my bad, my He's bad. skipping ahead here. <laughs> We're still talking about the fact that if you want to be a content creator, what events should you be going to? Correct. To get, right? Okay. Okay. So okay. Well, we'll if get that's that. the case, I really don't, I think that you should already naturally have been at meets and things like that before you decide to go to an event. You should have been there. If that's not already in your blood to pull out a camera and shoot the stuff that's right around the corner from you, you're not ready to go to an event because you're not going to know where to begin. You're going to be lost. You're not going to know how to put together a production if you haven't done it in a place where you're more comfortable, right? But I do feel like it's important when you get to the events that you have to have a plan and some of these bigger events will take a team to make something really official. And you have to understand what you want the outcome to be. Right. So outside of Week Fest, I would also say Clean Culture is another show that's a great event. I think FL2K is a great event. Um, I think I think those are the ones that I have been to most. One of them that I haven't been to in a couple of years that I think is really incredible um, is is Georgia Motorsports Park. It's all pro mods. No mercy. No lights mercy. out. Lights out. No mercy is freaking phenomenal ducks duck production yeah, yeah duck when you talk about entertaining duck is an entertainer as a promoter have you ever seen him he comes out of a helicopter with a fur coat with a bag of money who else does that in race sounds like wwe to me. i love it i love it every time i see him do it, i'm like he is out of his mind yeah that's great right because people feel entertained so those are the ones that i think are are hubs for you to begin to spit off you have to think about when you're making content Make content for the larger events because people are going to search and want to see it. You get a better opportunity to find new followers, supporters, things like that when you're covering those top tier events. But all your practice should be local and you should identify what your style is before you go to an event, spend a whole bunch of money and then not know what kind of content you can make. When you come. I like how you said that, right? You need to know your style because that leads to my next question here. When you're creating content, personally you... Quality or quantity? Quality. And the reason I say quality is because quanti you have to think about the way you're going to get paid, right? 
So if if you're putting out things on a regular basis, right? Let's just say like a YouTuber would, right? No matter how much money you're making as as a YouTube creative, how much are you making per view? I don't even know anymore. Do you know? I have no idea. You know? If it's grown past a half a set, you're lucky, right? Where if I create quality content and I package it and I sell it to a client, right? It may take me two or three months to sell it, but I could have a 10K price tag attached to that because the quality was there. Because whenever I approach or we approach different clients, I give them a list of everything that we bring on set. Everything. You can have this camera that I spent $15,000 on, or you could not. You could rent it. You could have a person that operates it, or you could try and operate it yourself and learn it for yourself. Any way you want to work it, we can put together a budget to do that. But when they see the budget and they're looking at all the things that come with it, people, equipment, time, coordination, execution, and timely delivery, people will pay for that as opposed to you saying, well, let me work and work and work and put out as much volume as possible. If it's up to some of these social media platforms, the goal is to post every day, twice a day, to see half a cent per view, and then your views will begin to go up, right? If you decided to just make really quality content, right? You make a you make a short film. You put it in a film festival. The film festival gives you those accolades. Somebody will then come to you and say, hey, maybe I want to purchase this. Do you know how much they'll purchase something like that for versus what you're going to get paid on YouTube for the views? I, I like um, I like your perspective on this, and I'm going to give the flip side. You know, this is a good uh, topic here because we're going quality versus quantity. So now I'm going to give it on a perspective of quantity based on today's algorithm, right? And I like how you gave all the benefits of producing quality content. And I got I 100% agree with that, right? I'm also going to give, um, you know, the facts about posting quantity. You did say today's algorithms on social media, you got to post every day. You got to post multiple times a day for you to be relevant on people's feeds. And in order for you to grow your network and for you to be known before you step into a room. I'm going to kill him on this. I'm going to kill him on this. Before, for you to be known for when you step into a room is your social media influencer, right? For somebody who is just focused on always producing quality content, especially for somebody new to producing media, and they say, you know what? I'm just going to produce quality all the time. They're not posting that much on social media because they're focused on producing quality, right? Versus the person who's starting off with this, who wants to get known, who's a nobody today, but wants to get known out there. I'm going to recommend quantity. You could work on, you could have your goal to produce quality content, but I'll recommend quantity at first to get your name out there because somebody who is capable to produce content is capable of producing, you could do both. But the goal here is to post as much as possible because not everything's going to be a hit. What is what is the biggest, the one thing, you, Hugo touched on taking feedback, right? The one thing that could destroy a creator is loving their quality content so much that it gets zero views that you just give up on yourself. But now if you're doing quantity and you're posting as much as possible, you might 
you might every so often get tens of thousands of views, hundreds of thousands of views. Some might only get hundreds of views. But every single video, every piece of content that goes out there is more than just one, two people watching it, which is also introducing you, helping you go viral, and letting people outside of just your little circle know who you are. So when you step into that room, oh, I've seen you show up on my feed before. You're working the algorithm. That's true. Nick, as the media director at Eat Sleep Race, I'm very curious to hear your two cents on this topic here. So I have something to say to both of you because <laughs> you both made excellent points, right? So Zoe is talking about how the quality of the content, you want to produce quality content, right? From a creator perspective, 100%, you want to produce the quality content. As a creator myself, I always want to produce quality content. From Brian's perspective, you got to keep in mind, he owns a brand. He owns Eat Sleep Race. For him to stay relevant, well, Eat Sleep Race amongst other, th other things, for him to stay relevant, he has to continuously be posting. So we're always coming up with ideas like, okay, we need to come up with some short form content, make it good. How can we post regularly, create schedules? Whereas like, it's a whole different aspect when you're trying to just create one single piece of content because you're kind of doing the same thing. You're making schedules, whatever, but you're only doing one piece of content. So it's like Brian mentioned, some of your videos could do good. Some of your videos may not do good. You're still kind of getting the reach. But I think from your perspective, and I've heard Mr. B say this on several podcasts, one really good video could get millions of views versus a bunch of short videos where if you didn't really plan it out, if you didn't really do the science behind it and you're just kind of experimenting, you might not get as many views as that one video you put that extra work into. So there's benefits to both sides of it. I guess it really depends on what your goal is. From Brian's perspective, as a brand owner, the short form content is super beneficial to him. As a creator, it's super beneficial to you, but also a lot of the brands that you're working with can use the content that you're producing. So it really depends on who you're working with. You know what's crazy is that as much as I love, I love making content. Like I need to set off, I need to set up an alarm to stop myself. Otherwise I will, I will edit or work until I pass out. Right. But I like the business side of it more. I enjoy the business side of content and marketing more. And this is why I said I was going to kill this man. Like literally? No. <laughs> but it's dead right after this, right? If you're always making content without having quality behind it because you're keeping up with the algorithm, when are you going to learn to make great content? You're too busy trying to keep up with the algorithm to ever learn. You'll never have the time to really make that. And on, and on top of that, no one ever said quality content couldn't be short form content. Like when you think about OMG builds, his quality is phenomenal. He doesn't make one piece of long form content. It's just great quality content. He, I think he's running around with a Sony FS5 or FS7 just to make reels, right? And the quality comes through on that. So what I'm saying quality, I'm saying quality as far as content is concerned and there's high, many high produced in a short form package right high produced short form but with purpose right i'm not saying you have to have a camera that shoots in 8k if you were purposefully making something that was a dated piece of content like a vibe from the 80s or whatever the case may be right the quality may look a little bit different but that was purposeful right 
that's what makes that great content. Not to say that it was produced any less what any any less than it would be for making something a little bit longer form. You thought it through and you put together something that would affect somebody and they watched it, right? The other side of it is a content creator sometimes gets confused with someone who does marketing and promotion. Those are two different people, right? So the content person should be worried about building up a vault worth of stuff that they're proud of to utilize. And like Hugo said, not be too tied to it because some people are going to like it and some people aren't. And content creators, I've got to be honest, myself included, we, at first, we're all really overly sensitive about our craft. That's the first thing you got to get over because you're doing it to support somebody else and you need to take what they say into consideration and then spin it into something great afterwards. I cannot tell you how many times I've made something I thought was amazing, got the worst feedback, bounced back from it, and then made something on behalf of the client that they were happy with. It's just getting over the hump of that. And the more you become a professional with that, the more you have the ability to do things like that. So for me, it's not long form or short form content that deciphers whether it's good quality content. It's the type of thought you put behind the message that you put out that makes good quality content. Do you think you need to follow certain trends in order to be producing good content? No. And the reason I say you don't need to follow trends is because if you're making amazing quality content, you can set a trend. Like, I, I think people need to look at how to set trends as opposed to follow them if you're a really strong creator. That's huge. Because every- Well, you said it, right? Creator, you should be creating trend. Creating trend. Like, that- If you're the best, that if you want to claim to be the best. Yeah. Right? That's true. You, you, should, be, you should be able to create- You got to be like Soldier Boy, right? <laughs> I'm the first, <laughs> but ain't nobody ain't nobody give him his roses though. He's still fighting for his roses. He, he's still to this day. Yeah, I feel I feel I feel for this guy. You know, I feel for this guy. He he really did do a lot of the first, and ain't nobody wanted to give this man this credit. Still fighting for it on TikTok. Soldier boy, yeah. I give you your credit right now. I don't know. I I ain't nothing to you right now, but yeah, Friday Eve sleep race. I give you credit. You've done a lot of firsts. We need to get him on the podcast. Soldier Boy, you're welcome. Yes. <laughs> he could be the first rapper on Eat Sleep Race podcast. <laughs> I mean, he, he likes to rent a lot of cars. Maybe I don't think he's ever raced any of them. That'd be a, you know, we, we did say this podcast is very open-ended. We could have all types of different people on here. So at some point, hopefully, you know what I mean? I, you know, we got to get T-Pain. T-Pain would be great. He'd be a good one on here. You know who else is really into motorsports that most people don't know about? Jada. Jada Kiss? Jada Kiss. Loves really? BMW. Does he race? Or he just if, likes if BMW? You pull up next to him. Yeah. <laughs> does, does he like the pop bang type of BMWs? He just likes to be able to put down power and go. Like, he's not a joke yeah. when it comes to that. Jada's about it. Jada's about it. Fetty Wap is about it. About. Well, Fetty Wap's in jail, so we're going to have a hard time. Where is it? It was about. going to have to wait a little while for that. Yeah. Soldier Boy, you could be the first. That would be the first. <laughs> Oh, I like that. That was, I was, you know, it's two separate um, opinions, but Nick summed it up, you know, in, in unison, it, it makes a lot of cohesiveness because the ultimate end goal is to produce a lot of content that is quality. Yeah. But what's it take to do that? A team. You need a lot of creators 
a lot of videographers, a lot of editors, a team. You need a person who just knows how to organize and post the things that are created in an orderly fashion. So exactly what we went to from the beginning of this conversation for anyone aspiring to do media, you know, be part of the team. You know, a lot of people may be looking at it from the smaller perspective of, I want to be Brian Media. I want everyone to watch Brian Media. But there is a larger goal here for you to be part of a larger Mr. Beast team. Because let's, let's keep it real. Not everyone can be Mr. Beast. That's true. Right? And in media- not everyone can be the personality. That's huge. Not not everyone's born to be the leader. Not every not everyone's born to be you know the the commander in chief. So let's let's be okay with what what we're good at. Yeah. In content creation, you 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 eat what you kill. Regardless if you're on a team or not, at some point you're going to get your opportunity to shine, and you will eat what you kill. Typically, when you're in a group like that, so it does always help to join a group and work with a group, at least to like file out your skill set, make sure that you feel like you can do it on your own, learn from other people along the way, and then go into becoming, you know, a, a full-time content creator and know your audience. Knowing your audience, if you're going to be a content creator, ends up showing you more about what you need to post than just the content you're thinking would be great. You know your audience enough, you'll know that you don't need to put hours of time into putting up, you know, one video when you know all they want to do is see the CRX in the background on your cell phone. Yeah, going back to what Brian was saying too, is also, I feel like, again, you can't, not everyone's going to be the, you know, the main guy. So if you are a camera guy or, you know, you shoot, you take really nice pictures, you know, and you don't know to how to go about in selling them or, you know, where to post them, you know, be personable. If, if I'm that camera guy, I know I have a ton of good pictures. I could come up to you and be like, Hey, Zoe, I got, I take a lot of photos. I don't know if you guys could do anything with it, but, you know, if you want to take a look at them, maybe we could use them. And hey, it, this is where the algorithm comes in, because Zoe, if you were following the algorithm, Zoe would know who you are already. He'd be like, oh, right, you're Hugo Media. I've seen your content because you show up on my feed because you post a lot of, every day. You know, <laughs> Brian's got a point. He's but it's, just, it's, 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 it, it does help. I think all, there's no right or wrong answer to, to these questions. There's. You know, obviously, we all, everybody has opinions, but at the end of the day, it's to get... This is no, all solid advice. Yeah, exactly it, what you said. There's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. It's it's all different, you know. It's like the same way, you know, taking different routes to, to go to the same place. Well, I, I, I turn down this street. Well, well, I go this way. We all we all ended up at the same spot, you know what I mean? Well, not everybody's going to the same but spot. Not, <laughs> but as far as, as, far as I, I feel like the... I always like to stress you have to be personable. You have to be not afraid just to introduce yourself because the next person you meet might be who you who, who you were um, needed the whole time, Yo, you know? How many media passes Jay has given out to people? You're saying how uh, many times Jay at Nice Ones has... Julian has given somebody a media pass or given them the opportunity... Oh, of course. ...to grown to do something else. And he's always been great about that. Like, he's always giving... Are you saying that it's a good way or a bad way? It's a great way. Okay. That's the way it should be. I think... I think I think it helps open the doors. Yeah, when you're a confident creator, you should never be worried about giving another creator an opportunity. Like, for me personally, people have different styles. But in my opinion, I'm not worried about who's shooting next to me, ever. Never. Never. Because I feel like my style and the way it works, works for me. 
and it works for the audience that I'm supposed to do it, right? Same thing with Jay. Jay has a completely different style, but he knows how to target his style to the right audience, and that's what Nice Ones was based off, right? That's why he's never been hesitant about getting somebody a media pass, right? Or getting somebody and putting them in position. There's multiple people, multiple media companies currently in drag racing that got their first media pass from Julian Ball. And they're still running media to this day and, and doing a great job and, and all those things. But he was the one that gave them an opportunity, me included. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's a big thing to keep in mind. When you reach out to somebody, reach out to people and get to feel get like get a feel for who they are, but don't be afraid to ask for some type of support because we all want to make sure that, you know, this this sport is covered so it continues to grow. Without media being involved in it, these things will die. Nice one's gonna get a lot of requests for media. I mean, <laughs> hey, I heard you guys are putting opportunities out there. You guys are giving away media passes. Can I, can I read that new email right now? Request at nicehands.com. We're going to have to have a new email address after this podcast goes up. Yeah, email Brian. Media request at niceones.com. That's great. You know what's even more crazy? There's, We've talked a lot about you know, how to become a content creator, but we haven't talked about leveling up after you become kind of that quote unquote successful content creator, right? And I've been talking about this for a long time because I feel like, you know, when you get caught up in the algorithm, what is the algorithm? What is it? Now, I don't know. Talk about it so much. What is the algorithm? Same way. I matrix. don't know what the matrix. Yeah, yeah, it's the matrix. It's the matrix. <laughs> oh, you guys hit it. That's what, that's so perfect. I'm going to tell you why, right? Everybody watch the matrix. Yeah. It's the zeros and the ones and the green lines. I've, I've seen all four of them and the enemy. Everybody was those little batteries in there. Remember that? So you got to think about social media. And we were talking about this earlier. Social media is given to people for free so that they can put up their content. We're on the same page about that, right? But the whole idea is to say, hey, Hugo, I want to give you this for free so that you and your family can come on here and they're going to sign up on here so that they can watch you. Same thing with you. Same thing with Brian, right? So when they do that, the whole model is you're going to come on board. You're going to bring people on board. Now that you have 20 people on board following you, you post something up. Who controls who sees it? You? Or the, or the, or the, the entity, they do. the entity, the platform, right. the, the, pla the algorithm. platform, how the algorithm can. Right. So, so keep in mind, the algorithm has goals that it wants you to hit but it's never told you what those goals are. The only way you know it is based on when views go up and views go down. That's how you know. And and when it goes up and when it goes down, it's not about the quality of the content. It is about the quantity of it because when you're putting people on like that, right, the more you post, the more opportunity for somebody to see and the more to bring people on. And when you're bringing people on, those platforms have the ability to sell the fact that, look, I went from having 100,000 people on this platform to 2 million people on this platform. And I can open and close gates whenever I want to if they meet the requirements that I want. You guys with me so far? Yeah. So for content creators, the ones who are truly successful, they utilize all these social media platforms and then figure out a way to take all of the followers that they have off of the platform onto a platform that they control, right? not enough content creators are taking that step. Because what happens if Instagram, TikTok, Facebook closes tomorrow? 
how many people, are, how many people's businesses are going to close down because you never took it off that platform into a place where you can stay in contact? Well, what kind of place are you talking about? Like, are you talking like personal stores, or online subscriptions, or? I feel like when you're trying to transition somebody from a social media platform, it's if you can, it's always best to do it through an app of your own. An app of your own is the best way to transition from another app, right? So let's just say that I created, you know. A nice ones app. No comment. So if, if I created if I created an app that was not YouTube where you could still see the content that you want that felt the exact same way, yet I have the ability to message you directly, that's a plus for me because now the algorithm is gone. There's no algorithm in my app. But my day-to-day -day activity is working through the algorithm to get you to come over to my app so that those gates are opening and closing based on what I say. Not when YouTube wants it, not when Instagram wants it, not when TikTok wants it, right? The more you do that and you have that information, the stronger content creator you're going to be. Because now you have the ability to go to these companies and say, you know, hey, YouTube would say, hey, I've got this guy with a channel or this girl with a channel and they're getting a million views a day and... I want to make money with you by putting your commercials in the middle of that, right? Great. And then you don't have any choice. You just post it on YouTube. They give you half a cent for that view. Meanwhile, they're making $10,000 off of that one view every time that they're doing it. And I'm just exaggerating, but you get my point. They're going to make more than you are with that. Once you get somebody off of that platform onto a personal platform, you can go to that company directly. You can get that full money directly because they're still getting the same service. I, I like what you're saying too, because um, I... You know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and um, that model that you're talking about is very similar to um, what Ryan Leslie did with his, um, on his platform and how he collects all the data from his subscribers and then, you know, he brings them over. He sends, you know, I was reading his thing. He got some type of app that he created where, you know, he knows all his, his customer base, his fan base. You know, he sends out messages. It's all, it's all automated. You know, he when, once he loads in your profile, you actually get an email from him on your birthday. Happy birthday, Zoe. It's all from information that you put in to sign up for his app, which all came from, you know, some, some level of social media, right? Like some type of Facebook, Instagram, or, you know, whatever else, Twitter. But uh, he's, a, he's a very big... Um, user of that stuff that's huge to bring them over to a separate platform you have to utilize social media as the carrot and then day after day work towards putting them on another platform and then making it special for them like when instagram integrated reels we all posted up a reel that went nuts oh it went crazy there were so many views was we got, we got hooked content? no we got hooked because, because the algorithm wanted you to use Reels to compete with TikTok. Or, That's why it existed. That's why you got views. They know views make people feel good. That was the same with TikTok, too. When TikTok first came out, everybody was getting thousands of views for essentially for what, nothing. nothing. For essentially nothing. Right. And my first couple TikTok videos were barely anything blew up. And then after a while, was they mad. started dying down. Yeah. And, what is that, and, then, and, then, and then what does that make you and that, when it starts to die down? You so start gonna post more. You're either going to post more. I'm going to post more. Or you're going to say, I got to get my fix. Quits. Right. You either post more or you stop. That's my know. point. When you're playing games within the algorithm, the goal is to get out alive. And the best way to get out alive is to use it as the carrot 
and move it to something that you control. But you have to be financially stable enough to build something that's going to work well with your because you lose it one time. Sutton crashes one time. You don't you don't really get that back with a lot of your fan base, right? That's the guarantee that you get with social media. Like Instagram's typically not crashing. YouTube's typically not crashing. It's always going to be there. No, the world was panicked. Remember when those Amazon servers went down? It was, it, people were losing their minds when that went down. Instagram's down for one day. People are on every other platform talking about Instagram for the entirety of the day, right? That's that's my point. You've got to get to an understanding of you want to cut out the middleman as much as possible as a content creator. So are you playing the algorithm game to then bring them over to somewhere where you can, like, are you trying to create content that will purposefully do good on social media to then bring them over to where you can create, not to say bad content, but something different where you don't have to be as specific because you're, you're always making changes. And we know that for a fact, we're always making changes to our content to see if it'll do better on social media. So are you catering to the algorithm to bring them to where you can create a different style of content you want? It's more of a plan, right? So let's just say that there's this app that we're gonna, we want to release, right? And as opposed to us just making content that doesn't aim at anything, we have enough content stored that just markets to that that will schedule to roll out and then see how many people we get to go from one platform to another maybe even gain some feedback as to why someone may be uncomfortable going for a pl- from one platform to another. Like that type of information, those type of questions in the right scenario mean the most, right? So it's more about having content ready, using the algorithm, knowing what the algorithm's looking for, checking off all the boxes, right? As YouTube creators, we get invited to a bunch of different stuff with YouTube to understand after we got a certain amount of followers and and made a certain amount of advertising dollars, then they begin to give you some of the hints, right? So we take those hints, we create content that really is going to work, and then we decide when we want to release it to get people to do what we're asking them to do. You know what I mean? So we're not always just throwing it out there willy-nilly. If we start posting something and it's consistent like weekly or three or four times a week, it's because we planned it, we know where you want to go, and by the time we're done doing it, it's because we've accomplished what we want to accomplish. But we don't make it a lifestyle piece because you're chasing something that's non-existent. It's Fugazi. It's not what people are, you, you, it's almost like you're putting up great content, random content, this you know new content as much as possible. You're only appeasing the algorithm so much and you're killing yourself for it for pennies on the dollar. That got deep. <laughs> and knowing how, you know, we went from, what events should you go to, to, to this point in the conversation? I want to go a little back here and Zoe, can you, we had that conversation about drag racing and drifting and what the difference is between the two and how the racers treat media completely different. I want you to speak to the camera now. If you could, if you have an up and coming racer that says, I need can you give me, I guess, the the key? Give me the key here to how I could be a successful drag racer to be able to, you know, get a lot of fans, get sponsors, because I don't think anyone in drag racing, import drag racing, is doing it correctly. So what do I need to do? And this is the dream, saying I got, I got as much fundage, personal fundage. I want to get, I want to stop spending my money. 
what do, what do I have to do? First thing is you have to decide on whether or not it's a hobby or a job. Because I think a lot of people confuse or don't understand what it means when you get a sponsorship, right? And and is the sponsorship worth your time? Because you have to remember the things that you have in your pocket that are a benefit that you offer to these companies, right? Like if, if you didn't have a build already, how much would it cost for them to build that car to demonstrate their brand, their business, or their, you know, product, right? That's number one. So understand what you have to offer a company. The, the value exchange. Yeah, the, the value you bring first. Wait on the exchange, but the value you bring to the situation first, right? Then the second thing I would do is before you assume you know what they want, ask them what they want. Ask them what they're looking to accomplish. What's your number one product? You know, this is what I like. Um, what's your goal for this year? You have no idea how many companies, you know, I thought wanted uh, a, a certain product sold and and uh, and revenue in their back pocket by the end of the year when really what they wanted was brand recognition. I want to see my logo everywhere for 12 months. Can you do that, right? So not assuming, but asking, right? And then the third thing that I would recommend you doing is get comfortable with using this. You don't always need to have somebody with a camera running around, but you do need to have discipline in the beginning to get comfortable with documenting and entertaining people in and out of the car. In import drag racing, it's always felt like a lot more people have recognized the car rather than the racer, where in drifting, people recognize the racer and not so much the car. The car can change, but they'll know who's driving it. Right now in import drag racing, there are very few people who's face first versus car first, right? I think Jerome Harris has done a great job of doing that transition, right? He's been in a few different cars. He operates the Carry Out Boys um, all-wheel drive car. He drove the Supertech car. He's driving the BC car now. Like, people know him because he made sure that his his personality and him as a driver is what came up first rather than the build itself coming up first. So I think that that's a good example. Um, I think another example of someone who does a great job with it is, you know, I think all motor CRX is great about being in front of the camera and letting people get to know his personality. So whatever car he jumps into, you know, it's, it's a big deal for people to recognize him as him, as opposed to, you know, the car itself, the car is secondary. So when you're first beginning, make sure that your personality shows through, make sure that you understand that you're going to be entertaining and make sure you understand the exchange that you're making, right? Because I can't tell you how many drivers, racers have thought to themselves, man, I really want this clutch and I'm sponsored by this company and I get a, I get two clutches for the year. But then at the end of the year, after they've committed to driving to 15 events all over the country, it would have been, it would have been more beneficial for them to just buy it as opposed to taking that, right? And, that, and then another item that I'd like to add to it is worry about getting paid to get to an event and less about the product, right? Because showing up is, I mean, you got to entertain. You got to be there to entertain and you got to be there to let people know about the company that you're supporting. Whether or not it'd be great to run the part and talk about the part, right? But you just getting the part isn't always the best idea for the racer. It really isn't. You should be worried about getting fuel to actually run down the track, getting your event fees covered, getting your travel covered, your hotel covered. If they don't add the part to the end of that, right, just be clear about the fact that, hey, I don't mind not necessarily having the part, but I can't really talk about it the way you may want me to talk about it unless I have it. 
nine times out of 10, if they've paid you to get to a place, they've taken care of your hotel, they've paid you for your entry fee, they're going to give you the park because it's just better for them that you have it to experience. But there are too many people in for drag racing that go to sponsors just for the park. And it also caps what import drag racing can be. Meaning you never see big companies, soft drink companies, snack companies, all these companies that have nothing to do with racing involved in import drag racing. That should concern a lot of people because in every other area of racing, you see those brands, you see those energy drinks, you see those things that have nothing to do with the car whatsoever being marketed to people who also like those things outside of racing, but you don't see it in import drag racing. The reason you don't is because you're only thinking about the part nine times out of 10. You're not thinking about the business side of it. All right, so Zill, we're gonna go into the final topic right here. You mentioned drifters, you know, in general, uh, from what you see, they come out to the events with a goal to create content, you know, versus the mindset of going to win the race. It's a mindset of, the race is actually a opportunity to create content and entertain. What would you say drag racers need to do to, you know, for, to better the sport? It's a very loaded question. For, and this applies to all drag racing in general. Yeah, I think drag racers really need to, they need to stop and remember that the goal isn't necessarily winning or losing, but to entertain and that they're an entertainer. If you can keep that in your mind first, then I think you'll begin to understand the steps you need to take to continue to entertain people on and off the track. Like, for example, when, you know, Adam LZ is at the track, he has people who are creating media, media content, all those things along with him. He has people creating content with him. He'll make content directly. He'll edit his stuff while he's in between racing just to make sure that he has something set for the very next day to keep up with the algorithm in a sense. A lot of times drag racers forget that or rely on just media to hope outside media. Yeah, outside media to hopefully cover that. It's almost like a roll of the dice, right? When in essence you should really not even guess at that. You're already spending the money to be there. You should invest in that and have a plan put together for what happens post the race, right? Having a content creator there, having an art director there. An art director's job is to basically have the idea on what the content should look like at the end of it, right? Having a camera person who talks to the art director about what that content should look like and how to shoot it is also going to be key. Having an editor who's there watching this along the way and helping to identify and organize footage so that you can get to creating the content sooner is going to help you to create all that post post content as soon as possible right after the event. It's a combination of two things. It's making sure that not only did you experience the event, but the people who weren't there with you get the opportunity to experience the event as though they were there, right? If you can pull more of that off, you're going to get a lot more people interested in being a part of the sport, not just from a, a part sponsorship mentality, but from a financial mentality as well. People will invest in the sport and do more with the sport. So your recommendation for the greater good of the sport is every drag team should have a content creator because not necessarily the driver should drive. You know, not everybody is multi uh, able to multitask like Adam LZ who could jump in a car, be a phenomenal driver, as well as 
be a phenomenal content creator. Some people just want to drive. But if you're saying, if that's all you want to do, then in addition to having somebody who's going to check your tires, bring somebody who's going to get good content to you. You know, I'm actually going to take it a, a one level higher than that, right? Because think about how many drag racers do we know in, in, in the import scene, right? Now, this is no offense to anybody, but how many of them would you trust with deciding who's going to create content? The racers, you're saying? Yeah. Just the racers being like, hey, I'm going to pick. If you don't have a, 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 a total understanding on how content is created or how that works, it may be difficult for you to make those choices. What I really think racers should do is figure out who can manage their race program. That's huge. Because if you have the right person who manages the race program, they'll figure out who you need to put in place to do what and be the person to organize that for you, right? But you just have to make sure that you understand what skin they have in the game along with your race program and what the goal is by the end of it. You have to have a goal. You have to know what you want to accomplish by the end of the year, and then you have to know how you're going to get there, and you have to have somebody that you can trust to put the proper people in place, right? And then to make sure those people execute on a timeline that works for you so you get the notice that you want to get. Is this what nice ones management does? This is what nice management does do. Now, you can do it for yourself. It's easy enough to say it. We just said it. If somebody follows all of the, of the guidance we gave today, they would be able to put that together. But it's so much easier said than it is done, right? Everyone thinks that they can just post. Try posting five and six times a day, recording it, trusting somebody to do it, giving somebody maybe the access to your own Instagram or your personal accounts to do like just deciding on who that's going to be is difficult enough on top of worrying about the car, racing the car, fixing the car, who's going to talk to the company in a way that makes sense to them. Do we think all drivers are just going to inherently know how to have this conversation? No, 95% of drivers say, I just want to drive, bro. 95% of drivers say, my car is fast. Give me parts, right? I think that's part of the, I win. the thing. I win. I've won this many events. Give me parts, right? And it's the whole judging it based on how many events you've won and then saying it's only about parts. Do you know how much a company gets away when they just get to give you parts? I get, I get more, I see more benefit out of a racer who produces a lot of content versus a racer who wins races. Absolutely. More value. Absolutely. And the reason why is because people buy into that person's story and then may get into racing. You only, when you're just worried about winning, you only impress the same people who have been in racing for a long time. You don't impress anybody new. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about a, a, sometimes a field of 32, it's one winner. It's one winner. And at the same time, you've seen those same people in the stands year after year who enjoy racing and who care about who's winning and who's losing. And that's maybe like 5 6% of what you see in the stands. Everybody else, they don't know you. They know right lane or left lane, right? And 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 the goal is to make sure that most of them know you. They'll get to know you through your story, right? They'll get to know you through the companies you work with. They'll get to know you from how often you post and it comes up on their time, right? They're not going to get to know you just by winning one, two, five, ten events. Listen to me. Jake Corsentino has been the 950 king for I don't even know how long. Super killer. He is a maniac when it comes to that stuff, right? But do you know how many people don't know him as the driver and know the car? A lot. A lot, right? Now, and, and he's a great dude. 
Like, he's very cool, dude. Super cool. Very cool, dude. He's hilarious. Solid, solid guy. He's not a talk smack. He's a great competitor. But because he doesn't have all those entities in place to organize that for him, the only time he has to allow him to, to really work on his race program is to work on the car, fix it when it breaks, and have the team to help him put it on and off the trailer and win these events and go home and enjoy it, which is great for him, right? But racers have to decide, what do you want your race program to produce for you? A lot of times, that 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 first question that I ask people when they try to um, join Nice Motorsports Management, because it's not like it's an open door thing. You have to submit in order to be accepted, right? Like a couple of the racers that we worked with, um, Romeville, Jerome Harris is one. Um, Alpha K is another one. And, you know, we've worked with these guys and they had to be accepted because I needed to understand what their goal was. You know, one one's goal was to enjoy it as a hobby. Another one's goal was to grow in the sport and maybe get outside of import drag racing. The way you get to those two different destinations are super specific. So I'd say you have to know exactly what you want on a drag racing in the timeline that you want in it. After you have that, the next thing is deciding on maybe someone who can coordinate all the things you need to do that or be the coordination person yourself. One's way easier than the other, but if you're capable of doing it, then you could see success in under 12 months. There's too many times I see people saying, well, you know, it's my it's only my fifth year. You can do it in six months if you go at it hard. Got to put in the work. Yeah, you can, go, you can do it in six months if you have the right team in place, the right strategy, the right plan, the coordination, and you make sure things are done in a timely fashion, you can do it in six months to get sponsored. Before we close out this podcast, you mentioned something prior to the podcast, which is about the shirt you're wearing, because we had complimented how awesome it looks. So uh, you want to give us the backstory on the shirt you're wearing? Yeah, this this shirt is actually super special to me because uh, a close friend of mine, Dav, uh, he was incredibly into the scene, um, actually had the biggest eat sleep race tattoo I'd ever seen, like right on his arm. And uh, he, he passed away from sickle cell, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I have to see a picture of that. No way. His eat sleep race tattoo in color on his arm. No way. And Give me a picture of that. Pull. He, was, he was in it before we made it a trend. He was in it, he was in it years before. As a matter of fact, this shirt that he made, he was so in awe about eat sleep race. He wanted to make like like clothing that could at least be somewhere next to what you were making. And before he passed away, this was his design. And 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 basically what it was is, you know, it's a it's a Dickie shirt that says drag set on it because he was so about just drag racing in general. And um and it means a lot to me because every time he was in the hospital, um, he said it was designing this merch and, and building his car that got him through. And if you don't know anything about sickle cell, it's probably one of the most painful diseases you can imagine it's when your blood splits um and you need to have blood transfusions on a regular basis people typically don't live you know past the age of like 30 35 and uh and he died at the age of 35 and he was passionate about not just like motorsports but he was passionate about you know clothing and the brand of motorsports and a lot of that was built off of uh off of beastly brace and um it meant the world to him to be able to actually make this actual shirt for his entire crew. We all we all uh, we all wore it to his funeral, and it was huge for him and his family. So, I don't know that you know the impact of what it is that you do, but there'd be nights where you'd be sitting up in the hospital just designing stuff, thinking about hopefully being like you one day. Man, that just left me speechless. 
because I knew of the car because he had an Eat Sleep Race sticker of the car. I wish I knew that while he was alive because that would have been an amazing conversation to have with him. And I didn't even know he had the tattoo. I just knew he had the sticker on the car and we've shared his car multiple times on our page because of that. And I never knew him as a person and it's unfortunate I only learned this now. Yeah. So for me, it's every time that there's like a big event or something, I tend to bring this shirt and I'll at least rock it for one day because like when, when I would go out to events and I would rock the drag set stuff and, and he was in the hospital, it would light him up. Like he would get out of the hospital and be better about it. Be like, yo, I saw you rock that for me. I appreciate it. Like that was huge. And, um, and I used to always encourage him like, listen, you could be an eat sleep brace. You just have to keep working at it. And he pushed the envelope so hard. And this was his final design. So I try to wear it whenever there's something special. I was going to say, I feel like I've seen you wear that before. Yeah. 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 On big shoots, I'll wear it. That's pretty dope. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like having him with me, you know? Man, rest in peace to Dev or something. That was my, my only experience that I could say I had with him was I was taking a picture of his car, not knowing it was his car. And I was like, oh, excuse me. You were kind of in my way. I'm taking a picture of this car. He's like, oh, it's my car, man. I was like, oh, man, appreciate it. I appreciate you rocking the sticker. He's he's like, oh yeah, I see you guys share it, and that was the that was a little bit of a interaction that I had with him. Yo, he was the best about it, man. And he, like I said, I hadn't, I still haven't met somebody who had the same passion for like motorsports culture and clothing like him. Like he had so many little different designs, like mechanics love and stuff like that. And I keep all that stuff, um, but I I just hadn't seen somebody who was impacted by what you do as much as he was at that time. And that's amazing. And that's huge. You know what I mean? That's huge. So very big on that note. Zoe, we appreciate your time. I think, uh, you shared an abundance of knowledge and actually, you know, a lot of great takeaways from here for anyone trying to get started in a media career as a hobby, even, you know, for the greater good of the sport, a lot of advice for racers here to one, grow themselves as a personality, you know, just grow their teams, you know, their credibility in all different aspects. There was a lot to take away from this conversation today. And if people want to, you know, maybe talk to you more or follow you, let's shout out your socials. Yeah. So my so- not your social security number, but no, I'm not. <laughs> so it's uh it's offset Zoe, uh Z O E. All one word. All one word with an underscore at the end of it. And then it's uh obviously official nice ones. Um and then we have, you know, nice motorsports management, which is nice MGMT on Instagram. Um, like I had mentioned before, you know, it's important to understand how to establish a team. If it's something that you don't necessarily want to do. It's not like you have to sign up for years to do it. You can learn what you need to learn in a month, two months, three months, six months, a year, whatever. Um, but we think that it's helpful to at least get people set up to know what to do on their own. It's like a, a, like a little training session. So uh, anybody has any questions, they can reach us, reach us at Nice Motorsports Management. And then stay tuned for the new email address for media passes because uh, <laughs> Zoe, Zoe thinks he might be getting a flood of requests here. He's going to have to make a new email address for that one. Media passes at eatsleeprace.com. <laughs> no, <laughs> negative. There's not a nice one. Stop. Oh, yeah. Nah. Oh, you guys. Appreciate yourself. Good job.